The following message is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. You can visit us online at orchardbible.org. This is God's Word. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Standing as we pray. Father, I want to pray for our morning together in this time of teaching, the words that were just before this passage that Paul has read to us from the Apostle Paul. And Lord, I want to pray that my speech and my message would not be with human words of wisdom, but as the Scriptures and as Paul aimed to do, with a demonstration of the Spirit and of His power, so that our faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is our prayer this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There's bulletins there that Paul Baum will have if you need a bulletin this morning. We're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's safe to say you know what's on center stage in terms of the events of today in our culture. There's a little game going on this afternoon that starts around 4.30, and I want to ask a different question about what's on center stage, and that is, what is on center stage when it comes to the ideas and the wisdom of our culture today? What's on center stage in terms of the ideas of our culture today. I think Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz gives us some insight. He's Jewish. He's angered liberals. He's angered conservatives. He's been at it a long time. He became a professor at Harvard Law School at the age of 25, and he's 81 now. And he's still in the public eye. He spoke at a Christian university last spring. And he had some interesting words that I think help us answer the question, what is on center stage in terms of the ideas, the philosophy, the thoughts of our culture? He looked out over the audience that he was talking to at this Christian university, and he said this. He says, I think many of you would be shocked to know 
that this Christian campus is more diverse in its thoughts and its opinions than Harvard University, from which he hailed. Today, if you go to Harvard, unless you speak on identity politics, on groupthink, on far-left, radical left ideas, his words, you're really not encouraged to come on campus. In fact, someone with, and he looked out over the audience of evangelical Christians, someone with your views would not be welcome to speak at major Ivy League universities today. There would be efforts, if you were invited onto the platform, to deplatform you, which he went on to say is a fancy way of saying, not let you talk. And he ended his comments with this, they would shut you down. I found it interesting in two ways, and part of that was not that surprising to me that the views of a Bible-believing, evangelical Christ follower aren't really welcomed onto center stage in many of the places that, that would be places of our cultural ideas today. But I thought it was interesting that he said at Harvard, they not only want to hear from people they agree with, but they really only want to hear about their hot-button issues. Well, among all the books on earth, a Christian says it's only in the Bible that we find God's wisdom. But you know what the Bible claims? The Bible claims that among all the peoples on earth, it is only in the believer that we find Christ's wisdom. Among all the people on earth, it is only in the believer that we find true godly wisdom. Well, if that leaves you a little uneasy, a little uncertain, then you need this passage today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. And it's worth a little look back into what's already been talked about in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, for instance. When we look back at chapter 1, we remind ourselves that Paul's writing a letter... The Gutenberg printing press that came out in the 1450s is not around yet, and so most likely that letter was read out loud to them for the first time. And and that's how they first became acquainted with what Paul was saying to them after he had spent time in the past with them. And I bet you they loved hearing verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1. You see, they were in a culture that really lifted up human speech-making. They lived in a culture that loved the exchange of philosophical ideas. And Corinth was the very center of that. I think it was our good friend Lars who who opened this up and said, quoted someone as saying, it's almost as if Corinth in that day and in that rather wide region of Roman culture would have been the place that combined Las Vegas, New York City, and Miami all together in one. So they must have loved when, we, when Paul, opening up his letter, said something like this. In every way, you've been enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Can you imagine how that might have gotten them a bit off track if they had just shut down their ears that early on in listening to the letter? Because to hear the words in a culture that already loves speech-making, 
already love the idea of our words and our flow of speech being important, that already loved the idea of great philosophy being exchanged within their cultural conversations in the town square, to be able to be told, on top of that, you come to Jesus, and now it's those words and, and your ideas are enriched even more, might have been a point of tripping up for them. Perhaps like talking like a suburban, middle-class culture in Centennial. And talking in this materialistic culture and seeing someone come to Christ and then them hearing words somewhere in the Christian community and God wants to bless you even more with the good things in life. Oh, out of context, you can imagine they could run with that and say, you mean I get to keep all this and I get more? I think they could be off track just in the same way in our materialistic culture. We can get off track with taking the promises and the good things of the Scriptures in the wrong way. It's almost as if I think Paul is saying, challenging them to dismantle the foundation of what was important to them in their culture and begin to build, not on top, but begin to build in a fresh and new way. And so Paul says, you know, when God sent me to see you, I came in verse 17 of chapter 1, not with words of eloquent wisdom. I didn't come in a way that, that you could admire how I talked, admire the big words and my learnedness. I didn't come in a way that, that shared a new and even more attractive wisdom that was maybe a little better than things you had heard. Paul makes it clear, God sent me in a way that was contrary to the kinds of things your culture is lifting up. I came with a simple message. I came in with a focused message. It has nothing to do with human ideas, but about God's ideas from the foundation of the age. A Christ crucified. A Messiah who died to save his people. I just want to point out just the next two or three verses before we get on to our passage, because I think in each one of them, they set the background that we need to wrestle with as we launch into our passage. He says, not only did God not send me with eloquent wisdom, but he goes on to say in verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. He says right off the bat, in terms of the content, what I came to speak to you about is utter nonsense in their ears. Gordon Fee says it this way, The cross stands in absolute, uncompromising contradiction to human wisdom. Paul went on to say in the next verse about God himself pronouncing, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. That's, that's not saying I'll get along with human ideas. Oh, I'll show you a little better way. God didn't say that. He said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And whether that was at Corinth's town square, whether that was on a podium at Harvard, whether that is at the Golden Globe stage in a little politician's, a little political speech as the award is being accepted in Hollywood, or whether that might be somewhere around mid-May at a high school near here and a valedictorian gets up and says, Nice, gentle, kind words, but they're all human wisdom. 
devoid of being informed by God's Spirit. God says, in time, I am going to destroy that kind of wisdom. And finally, in verse, in verse 20, verse 21, God says, in the, my wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Let me read that again. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. What did God say there? He was saying, you can't get to my wisdom if you start with yours. You can't get to my wisdom if you start with your human wisdom. So Gordon Fee says it this way, really a bridge to our passage, a true knowledge of what God is doing in the world can only come by revelation, by Him revealing it to us through the Spirit. And this is, he says, the, Paul, the point that Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16, which is where we find ourselves looking at this morning. So with that background of both culture and where Paul is already leading, we see this passage today is, is not just a, a little chapter. Why in the world did that get stuck in there? He's building on the framework that he's already started in chapter 1. And I want to point out that in chapter 2, as opposed to what we'll see in chapter 3, that he's really looking at two groups of people. And these two groups will be different than what he talks about much of the rest of the book. In chapter 2, it is really a comparison of unbelievers with believers. A comparison of those who have embraced Jesus as Lord of the universe, as the crucified Messiah, in whom they have placed their faith and trust. That is the believer, and an unbeliever is one that has rejected both the, both the Christ and the message of God, the salvation of God that he brought. So that's the contrast in this chapter. Much of the rest of Galatians, or the rest of 1 Corinthians, especially starting in chapter 3, will be about those who are, are slow in their faith, that are baby Christians when they should be growing up, and comparing those to where they should be, more mature Christians. But here, it's very clear, the entire chapter, what we're focusing on, is those without faith in Jesus Christ and those with. That's the contrast. And it's important to make that, that distinction because when we look at verse 6 and 7, really setting the framework of this section, we could get tripped up when we look at the first few words of chapter uh, 2, verse 6. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Some of the scholars really feel like Paul was probably picking up on, some, on a word that they were throwing around, probably throwing around the word mature to refer to some of them in contrast to others who sat on the pews with them on a Sunday morning. But even if that's not the case, the context, if I were to sum up what I learned in seminary and hermeneutics class, the semester course, I would say this message interprets scripture with the context around that. Context, context, context. So when we read a word like he speaks to the mature, we just look at the rest of this passage and see that, that there's not a, a, a differentiation among Christians that Paul is focusing on. He's focusing on unbelievers 
and believers. And so among those who have come to birth, almost like a, we might say, we could call a baby a mature baby, medically, because they stayed in the womb long enough to emerge a mature baby. So there might be mature babies and mature senior citizens, but they have been born and they've been given new life. And so Paul here is talking about all who are believers in Christ at this church. And it's important that, that he's not making a distinction as he heads on to this passage between some who have greater IQ and some with less. He's not talking about some with more books that they've read and some with less. It's not a comparison of education or, or cultural status. It's not even a mind, a, a distinction between those who kind of enjoy deep theology more and some that kind of just want the practical stuff. How do I get through the day with Jesus? Paul's criteria here is, are you in Christ or not? And so when he goes on in the very next verse to say, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, we need to ask the question to the believers in the church, what was he imparting? This sounds a little, uh, well, secretive to talk about a hidden and secret kind of wisdom. Kind of conjures up a secret society, a fancy secret handshake, fancy secret code to get in the church doors. But Paul is, is probably once again building on some of the ideas that were circulating in the church of that day, where, where some were, were not just claiming we're the mature ones further along in Jesus, but some were probably, perhaps that same groups, were saying things like, we've discovered some things that others haven't. Again, we don't know that for sure, but the, the, the experts say that that's quite possible. But nonetheless, Paul banishes all thoughts that among believers, some arrive at, at a greater level of finding out secret things in the scriptures, and, and some don't have access to that. So when he is saying, what is he, maybe ask the question, what is he saying when he says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom? What is he saying there? Well, the rest of scripture makes clear that the message that God shares with us is something that at one time was hidden. You see, no human being knew about this message when God came up with it before the ages, as it says in verse 7, and there weren't any human beings around to know it. But even as, as God created man and woman, and we look in the Old Testament, we find these Old Testament faithful saints that are there wanting to discover, wanting to understand what God was doing and realizing they hadn't arrived at a full understanding of what God was doing. God incrementally revealed his plan until Jesus. He says it in no more clear way than when Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 these words. Concerning this salvation... The Old Testament prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And here's what God told them. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, 
but you, meaning you in the time of Christ and thereafter. We were, they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, things into which even angels long to look. So this hidden and secret things, yes, hidden and secret when only the mind of God knew them, but now as they've been unfolding throughout the era of the Old Testament and come to a fulfillment in Christ, they're out for all to see. And Paul makes it very clear, there's nothing that is hidden from you anymore that will be soon discovered until we get to heaven. These secret and hidden things are no longer secret and hidden. So he goes on from saying, we're imparting a godly wisdom. We're imparting that which was once secret, but now is out in the open for all who would hear the message and accept it. And then he draws in verses 8 and 9, I think, a significant contrast between those who reject Jesus and this message of godly wisdom and those that have accepted it. And the contrast, I think, is great. Let me read the passage first of all. Verses 8 and 9, none of the rulers of this age, meaning Paul's age in the first century, none of the rulers of this age understood this, this wisdom from God. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And here is, I think, the contrast that Paul is pointing out. Because I guess I should say that, that I think it is accurate to say that those that we read about here in verse 8, these rulers of that age who actively put Jesus on the cross, whether they were plotting Pharisees trying to stay in power, whether they were just a disinterested pilot that wanted to get on with his day, They were the fickle crowds that went from laying down their garments and their palm leaves to yelling, crucify him. Whether it was any of them or anyone today and throughout the history of mankind that has rejected Jesus, I think these people in many ways represent all who have, in a sense, rejected Jesus and and ignored his message of wisdom and and rejected him. And so I think they represent all who will be forever tormented by the thought that they failed to grasp the truth. And they rejected the Jesus that brought that truth to earth. And that's contrasted here in verse 8 with with those who have accepted that, who who love the Lord Jesus. Paul here, in, in what might look to be a quote in your Bible, is pulling together probably a couple of passages, a few verses from Isaiah 52 and some from Isaiah 64. There's no exact verse in the Old Testament that has verse 9 in it. It's kind of a a paraphrase and a little conglomeration of verses. But the message is clear that the one will be forever tormented by their rejection of godly wisdom and the God behind it and this Messiah who brought the message that the other has yet to grasp all the good things that this godly wisdom and this Messiah have brought to their lives. Because it says right there, 
that that those none no heart no ear has seen no no eye has has seen no ears has heard no heart of man has imagined what yet is in store for those whom God loves and who love him the next point i'd like to point out is found in the next few verses verses 10 to 13 And it's this, there in your outline, that the only reliable wisdom is found in God. And God's Spirit gives that wisdom to changed hearts. That's the message of verses 10 to 13. This past week, I was, I was uh, at a mentoring lesson over at Littleson Bible Chapel with some middle school uh, helpers for Awana, some young leaders who are serving. And uh, one of the People who was, it was doing the mentoring lesson, she was, she was challenging these middle schoolers with just this thought as she was really talking with them of, of how to correct, how to encourage right behavior in the kids younger than them. And she asked just the simple question. Her challenge to them was to correct behavior, but to explain, to offer a reason for why they were being asked to do this, to obey this rule or to, to follow this pattern for the evening. And she just asked this question. She simply said, she said, do you appreciate when someone explains a rule to you? Do you, do you value when someone tells you why things are being done a certain way? And across the board, these several middle schoolers nodded their heads. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I think in his kindness and his love to us, God is doing the same thing in verses 10 to 13 here. He's explaining to us why only the believer has the access to God's wisdom that is not available to an unbeliever. And the message is simply this, really, in summary, that that only God's Spirit can give that wisdom. And believers in Christ have it, and unbelievers don't have that Spirit within them. Let me read to you this same this passage, but I'm going to use the, the paraphrase uh, known as the message that I know some of you appreciate as a, another way to read the Bible sometimes to just bring alive uh, the, the words of Scripture. Here's what the message says as I read this exact passage, 10 to 13. You've seen and heard God's wisdom because God by His Spirit has brought it out all into the open before you. Verse 11, whoever knows what you're thinking and planning except you yourself. The same is true with God, except that he not only knows what he's thinking, but he lets you in on it. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation that he's giving us. In verse 13, we don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. We learned it from God, who taught us person to person through Jesus, and we're passing it on to you in the same way, firsthand and personal. But you might say, okay, so God's Spirit is helping me understand the things of God, but I thought the things of God were too lofty for me to get a hold of with with my mind, my human mind. And maybe a verse like Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 comes to mind when when God pronounced, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Does that give you much hope to think that God's thoughts are that lofty? Well, this passage should should help to give reassurance that we have access to God's thoughts, at least those that He intends for us to have, because His all-knowing Spirit has taken up residence in us. It doesn't mean that we understand all the things of God. (laughs) Of course not. I always love the line of Johannes Kepler, the, the 18th century science, uh, uh, scientist who said, we're just thinking as scientists God's thoughts after him. And I can tell you, at least in the field of medicine and, and those men and women here who, are, who know more about other fields of science would say, yeah, we're still <laughs> trying to figure out a lot of God's thoughts in the scientific realm. Well, the same is true of the theological realm as well that there will be some thoughts that that God does not reveal and lend understanding to. But boy, he has lent us an understanding and access to so much of his thoughts, particularly those that lead to a relationship with him. He said it perhaps the the most clearly uh, here in this passage when, when in the message it says, he lets us in on it. He lets us in on his thoughts. And in the ESV it says, we've received the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. What a marvelous thought we have that that God has freely given to us his thoughts to a great degree. And it makes the very clear, uh, it helps us understand very clearly the means to that is that only God's Spirit knows God. Just as the only way that, that, that somebody can know your thoughts fully and perfectly, any, the only human being that knows your thoughts fully and perfectly is you. And so God, by the Scriptures by analogy say, since God's Spirit is the only one that fully knows God's thoughts, if that Spirit has taken up residence in you, Believer in Jesus Christ, you have access to the degree that the Spirit reveals those to you through His Word and through illuminating His truth in the Word. You have access to God's very thoughts. Finally, I think in your outline for point three, we end this passage with just this, this very clear assertion that without a changed heart... You do not accept nor understand God's wisdom. It's there in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I read a section like that and I I think of people I know. Maybe you think of people you know. People that are smarter than you. People that, that... have lived long enough that you'd say, that's a wise person. People that perhaps have read widely. People that listen carefully as they walk through life and, and seem to gain a greater understanding of life. You think of someone like that, but someone who is without Jesus, and you say, 
does not accept the things of God, their folly to that person and say, ah, that seems a little harsh. Is that, is that a little bit too black and white? Too, too, a little bit too pointed? Well, I'm just reading to you what God says. And Paul says it even maybe a little bit more harshly in Romans 8, verse 7, when he said, The mind that is set on the flesh, which is every mind that has not been changed by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Well, the Scriptures, sometimes we just have to accept what they say at face value and say, though, though we can, can admire and appreciate the wisdom, the human wisdom in some people, there's a lot of human wisdom that's pretty easy for us to reject. That's just foolishness to, to, to us. But sometimes there's human wisdom that seems attractive, seems, seems, seems packaged in a person that we even respect. But I think here the scriptures are saying, if a person does not have God's spirit in them, they are still in darkness. They're still in darkness and they are unable to digest and embrace and and accept what God has, has planned since the beginning of time. Because they have rejected the God behind the gospel and they have rejected the gospel. Truthfully, if you had asked me before I was wrestling with this passage, how important is understanding and accepting the gospel to being wise? I think I would have said, well, it's pretty important. In fact, it's a lot important. But my thinking has been corrected by the scriptures as I've studied to realize that accepting and embracing Jesus Christ for who he claimed to be and accepting and embracing the gospel message of salvation that he came to bring is absolutely essential to being wise. At the very end of this, we end with just these words, but we have the mind of Christ. And we're challenged uh, to, to look back over this passage and notice how often Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses we or us over and over again. It's part of the reason we know that, that he wasn't just talking to a narrow group of more studied Christians at Corinth, though he's a little bit more enlightened, that over and over again, the we and us is all who are found in Jesus Christ. And he ends it by saying, we have the mind of Christ. And Craig Blomberg at Denver Seminary, a great professor, a great follower of Christ, says it this way. The we throughout this passage is deliberate. Paul shares with even the most immature Corinthian believer what all Christians today share. That we can all commune with God. We can all understand His will. And we can all make sense of those foundational truths of the scriptures. I love stories, of course, about missionaries and none more than than those that have gone to the country of Myanmar, old Burma, for over the years. 
And Adoniram and Ann Judson headed over there and arrived in 1813 and would send home periodically stories for the saints really around the world, but particularly in America where they had left out of of, uh, just outside of Boston in 1812. And in the Baptist Missionary Journal in 1858, it records a story of Adoniram Judson being upriver in the interior of the country. And, and when he was there, he, he, this was probably just a few years before, there was a time when he was, had, had arrived at a village near a river, and he was preaching the gospel there. And, and a man stopped him and said, Are you Jesus Christ, man? And Judson said, Well, yes. I am one of Jesus Christ's men. Just as any woman who is a follower of Christ would have said, I'm one of Jesus Christ's women. Well, the man approached him and said, Ten years ago, a man came, like you, and he shared with me some teachings that were strange to me. And he gave me a book that had strange things in it as well. But I've been reading that book for the last ten years. I've even shared this book with some of the neighbors in my village. And some like what I say in this book, and some don't like what this book says. And I've been looking for ten years for one of Jesus Christ's men to come and teach me more. Justin said, well, I welcome teaching you. Where is your village? And the man, looking at the, at the river that was just in front of them, said, it's five bends of the river upstream. Try to find that, Dan, on your GPS, five bends in the river. So they decided on a time just a few days later in which Judson would meet him. And so sure enough, on that day, as Judson tells the story, he rounded the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth bend in the river. And after coming around the fifth bend and heading towards the man's village that was just on the side of the river upstream, Judson said this, I had sailed up the river past five bends when I got near. And as I got near to see their village, I could see my new friend running down from his home down to the riverbank. And as he ran down and he could tell that it was me, he began to dance around and clap. And he began to say, now we get the light. Now we get the light. But I have a question for you. As Judson got off with his Bible in hand out of the boat on that riverbank, as he did that on that day, did God's light and God's wisdom arrive in the book or in the man? Or both? Father, we thank you for this time together. Would you continue by your gracious, gracious kindness to us, impart your wisdom May we grow in it. We thank you for the book that imparts that wisdom. We thank you for the spirit that resides within us, that illuminates and guides us into a greater understanding of your plans. We welcome that in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.